Now to him who has loved us and has washed us of our sins in his own blood and has made us to be kings and priests before God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever. Amen. It is a great privilege and honor to be here today and to address you on the basis of our Lord's word. I direct you to our text recorded in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 4 through 7. Uh, please bear in mind that the translation on the screen will not follow exactly with the translation of the music. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. Here ends our text. In the name of Jesus Christ, the head of the church whose body we are, dear friends, fellow co-workers in the Lord's public ministry, and especially you, the members of Ascension and Redemption Lutheran Churches, as well as your new pastor. In your opinion, is this a good time or a bad time to be a Christian? Before you answer that, there are a few things that you should consider. As you know, the number of Christians in America is in a rapid decline. Three years ago, for the first time ever, fewer than half of American people belonged to a church, a synagogue, or a mosque. 20 years ago, that number was 70%. George Barnes says that just one in four Americans today is a practicing Christian. He defines practicing as someone who identifies as a Christian, who attends a religious service at least once a month, and who says that their faith is an important part of their lives. Among Lutherans, the ALCA had three and a half million souls in 2017. But if they continue to bleed out members at the rate at which they're going, their own projections will show that by the year 2050, their total membership will be 66,540. That's a 98% drop in 33 years. Secondly, the exclusive nature of Christianity, the fact that only those who trust in Christ will be saved and the others will face the wrath of God, sounds judgmental, unloving, and intolerant. Just ask the Christian baker in Colorado whose life has been full of misery ever since he failed to bake the famous cake. Finally, these things are not happening by accident. These are signs of the last time. They are surface indicators of a war that's raging behind the scenes. In other words, brace yourselves, it's going to get worse. Is it a good time to be a Christian? Is it a good time to be a pastor? If we go by what we can see, the answer is no. If we go by what we cannot see, the answer is yes. 
If we go by what we will see, then it couldn't be better. If anyone had reason to say that it was a bad time to be a pastor, it was the prophet Isaiah. He appeared on the scene about 250 years after David, about 700 years before Christ. Assyria, the military powerhouse to the north, had already conquered much of the then known world. Soon they would set their sights on the ten tribes of Israel. They would conquer and then disperse them throughout their kingdom. Then they'd be at the doorstep of Jerusalem demanding surrender. Thanks to the prayers of King Hezekiah, the Lord spared Judah for the time being, but 130 years later, they fell to the Babylonians. God sent prophets to call the people to repentance, but it was like preaching to a wall. On the outside, they looked like believers. In their hearts, they had already rejected the Lord and his word. What was it like for those who remained faithful? Oh, it was terribly discouraging. All around they could see unbelief and immorality, dishonesty, hypocrisy. The rich lived in ease on the backs of the poor, and God seemed silent and indifferent to their cries. They wondered, why doesn't God come? Doesn't God have the power to do something about this? But God was not unfaithful or indifferent or lacking in power. The problem was that they were walking by sight and not by faith. What do we see in our world today? Well, churches are closing at a record pace. From 2006 to 2012, an estimated 30,000 churches closed their doors for the final time. From 1991 to 2005, our population grew by 15%. The number of people who no longer attended church jumped 92% from 39 million to 72 million. And we've all seen the effects, haven't we? There have been major shifts in attitudes towards sins that God condemns. And if you're serious about your Christian faith, don't be surprised that it, if it draws the scorn of the people around you. That probably wouldn't have happened 50 years ago, but that's how much the foundation of our society has shifted. Discouraging? It is for pastors. I'm sure it's discouraging for members too. This is not a moral and doctrinal slide. This is a head first plunge. Is it a good time to be a pastor? Well, probably not, if you trust your eyes and walk by sight. But if you go by what you can't see, in other words, you trust in God's promises, then it's a great time. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, he will come to save you. Their hands hang limp at their sides. Their knees tremble. Their legs are like jello. Your people, they're battle-scarred and weary. And your job, your call, is to strengthen and steady them. How? In 2014, there was a public execution in Iran. 
A 17-year-old named Bilal had stabbed another teenager in a street fight. In Iran, executions are handled differently than here in America. There, the victim's family is invited to take part in the slaying. Bilal was tied, hands and feet. He was lifted on top of a chair. A noose was slid over his head and cinched up around his neck. The grieving parents were invited to kick the chair out from under him so that his neck would break. Naturally, he was terrified. The mother of his victim walked up, looked him in the eye, and slapped him across his face. Then her husband stepped forward. He slowly put his trembling hands on the prisoner's neck and lifted the noose away. Immediately, Bailal's mother rushed forward and she hugged the victim's mom. Together they cried, one for a son who was murdered and one for a son who was spared. 2,000 years ago, God's son was executed, but there are some major differences between these events. Bilal was guilty of his crime beyond any doubt. Jesus was executed while remaining perfectly innocent. Bilal would have run off if given the chance. Jesus could have walked away at any time. He could have taken one look at this world of sinners and decided it wasn't worth the trouble. He could have summoned an army of angels to fight for him, but he chose to go to the cross without complaint. And where Bilal was granted an undeserved deliverance, Jesus received an undeserved punishment from God. God came with a vengeance. He came with divine retribution. Only it wasn't aimed at him or at us. It was aimed at him in our place. And because of Jesus, we are forgiven. All is well between us and God. That's the message that strengthens people's hands and settles their fearful hearts. Is it a good time to be a pastor? You have the gospel, the power of God for salvation. It is yours to proclaim, not just from this pulpit on Sundays, but in every part of your ministry. You get to remind people how God lifted the noose from their neck and slid it over the neck of his son instead. You can't see how the gospel unseats Satan from his throne in an unbeliever's heart, but God can and does. You can't see the angels rejoicing over every sinner who repents, but they can and they do. And if what you can't see isn't enough, let me give you a small preview of what you will see in heaven. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Our world is pretty much just the opposite of what Isaiah describes. Here we see people who are born blind or deaf. Here there's pain, suffering, toil, and disappointment. Here we have hospitals and nursing homes, wheelchairs and walkers, heart attacks and dementia. Hands get weary, hopes unravel, joy is followed by grief and frustration. 
but it's not that way in heaven. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. The scorched earth, once barren and dead, is now bursting with life. The harsh desert is in full bloom. That's the difference between our present sinful world and a world that is free of sin and every problem that comes with it. And Jesus gave us a preview of that with every miracle he performed. He gave sight to the blind and speech to the mute. He enabled the crippled to walk and run, the leper to shout for joy. Every miracle was a proof of where he came from as God and what awaits us as his people. And you get to be a part of preparing your members for their future, their eternal home in heaven. During World War II, General Creighton Abrams found himself and his troops surrounded on all sides. Optimist that he was, he told his officers, gentlemen, for the first time in the history of this campaign, we are now in a position to attack the enemy in any direction. That should be our mindset too. It's a dark world. It's going to get darker. What does a dark world need more than anything else? It needs the light of Christ. It's a great time to be a Christian. What a great time to be a pastor. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.